You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Brocho. This is On Principle, Challenges in Jewish Education. I'm here with Rabbi John Kroll, the principal, indeed, of Salanter, Akiva, Riverdale, otherwise known as SAR. John, uh, the summer, it's full full steam ahead in the summer. Obviously, you're getting ready for next year. And, you know, you're one of the few guests I have that we really talk about what happens in the school. I've had Chaim Seiman on. I've had Yisak Adlerstein, uh, Zev Elif, and uh, most of us have talked to theoretical. And it's only when we get you here uh, on the other side of this Zoom screen uh, that we actually talk about the nuts and bolts of education and really struggles and things that are going on about it. And you mentioned to me in a conversation a couple of weeks ago about a problem that I think maybe our program might shed light on, and that is the internet gambling problem. Uh, so why don't you talk about that? Tell us how it's somehow affecting uh, students, not just in your school, but in general, how it can affect kids in high school. Sure. I mean, this is how I see it. It used to be that gambling was viewed as a vice. It's no longer viewed as a vice. It's with the, you know, kind of a legalization of sports betting. Every student sees commercials on TV, online. Their uh, social media feeds are bombarded with ads for FanDuel and DraftKings. And it's a, you know, there's no, it's not viewed as, as any kind of vice or anything that's uh, untoward about it. It seems like it's a totally normal way of experiencing sports. And so people make accounts and they get involved. It used to be that, you know, I I generally don't look at the glorious past and say back in the day, it was all that most of the today's problems are very similar to problems that existed back in the day. Kids gambled when I was in high school, kids like, you know, uh, were involved in that kind of stuff, but it was viewed as a vice. I think that's the big, that's one of the big differences. And I think that um, kids are really getting involved in this stuff and does become addictive for a number of people. Again, I don't know much about it, but from based on what you're saying and sort of like what's in my mind of what I hear and like you said, those commercials that are on all the sports stations, is that it's almost like you're not really into sports if you don't have, you know, some money involved in one of these fan duels or one of these uh, online betting things. It's almost like, you know, what sort of sports fan are you? Like, you, like you're only caring about, you know, who won that game. Is that part of it, you think? Yeah, I think, I, think, I think that is part of it. If you want to look at it like that, you know, I think there's something, I don't know if this is like a real thing or this was uh, just a shtick, but you're familiar with the, uh, the apex of Yeshiva High School basketball season. Sarachek tournament. Sarachek tournament. There was like an Instagram account. I think it may have been a joke, but it seemed to be pretty serious where there was um, somebody purporting to be a, a, a bookie setting the odds and the point spreads for all of the uh, games in Sarachek. And I know certainly there were kids who were betting on games. And listen, you know, it's come, it becomes like fascinating, just like is that you can bet on anything, you know, it works. Like you can bet on, you know, what color Gatorade they're going to pour on the coach's head. You can bet on is the first pitch going to be a fastball or a curve? Only if the games are significant, though. It's only like on the Super Bowl that you can get bets in Vegas for that, not on some high school in Texas. 
Yeah, yeah, not in high, not in high school, but I think I, I think you can get that on on the the, the minutia that you can bet on, and even regular baseball games is pretty pretty serious. And so I guess I was going to say that it's not just the way to be, be a sports fan. I think actually it's almost has the opposite effect. It turns people from being sports fans into being you know betters, and you end up. This is like a you know another problem of I think of this of this sort of. Uh, kind of a situation is that people are no longer present to kind of focus on a game or the activity itself. You monetize everything. Everything is like reduced to the thrill of making a buck. And it seems to me to be, you know, not just, I'm not, I think there are some people who will be addicted to gambling. Yes. Well, most people probably not, but for everybody, it cheapens their experience. I think what, we haven't mentioned yet, which I think goes hand in hand, or maybe was the antecedent to this, was fantasy leagues. Like, you know, again, you're a Bear fan. I'm a Packer fan. But if you have a person 30 years younger than us, or 40 years, or 50 years in my case, younger than us, they are fans of the team. But at the same time, they've got players on their own created team, right, that are taken from all a bunch of different teams. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And the experience of enjoying football is totally different than it was before fantasy leagues. You ever watch red zone? I think red zone is that you only see the touchdowns, right? Or you, you only, you only see, only see the team as they're moved into the red zone. Correct. They'll go to the live shot of any team that's within 20 yard line in the red zone. And they'll have multiple, sometimes they'll have two teams, two games of one split screen in the red zone split screens. But the the point is that this is really exciting because you want to know how it's going to affect your fantasy football team. I never used to do fantasy. I did fantasy football for a few years and I, I did it for a few years with, you know, in school with different rebellion. I did it once. I wasn't in a league of like principals of various schools and we gave the winner, gave them the charity. What I liked about it was that I actually knew many more. Um, I felt like I was I was, I had like my finger on the pulse of something going on in the lives of kids. I also was focused. I actually knew a lot more football players than I would have known otherwise. But what I found my experience, again, I I do like a good football game. I appreciate a good football game. It was completely diminished. I didn't watch any football games. All I watched was red zone. And I was just curious to see, you know, whether uh, players would school would would be, uh, you know, get points. And obviously, when your team wins, this everybody puts money in the pot. And therefore, if your team, because of the efficacy of your players, you make money. So Correct. when people stop being fans uh, so much of a team and they basically know about their players because they use them as, as you say, pawns to monetize their winnings. So then it clearly, look, fantasy football is all about winning the pot. When you get eliminated, like when your team is eliminated, all the money rolls over. And when you win the championship, it isn't that you're able to get a little flag and a pennant that you put on your mantelpiece. You can win a couple thousand bucks in some of these. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So what I'm saying is, is that children see what their parents, what their Rabbeim do and others. And therefore, the kids that are growing up now, as I said, it's a gateway. The gateway was already open. So therefore, the idea of gambling is natural. I think the second thing is, let's say when we were kids, to find a bookie or to find someone to put money on, you had to make a call, you had to do this. 
now all you need to do is, is know a website to go on to. And I don't know exactly what sort of firewalls there are preventing underage kids gambling, but I'm sure it's pretty easy to get to, right? Yeah, my impression is it's pretty easy to get to just based on talking to kids in, in my school. When I talk to kids in school, kids will say, Rabbi, it's a problem. Do something about it. How does it manifest itself? Other than the fact that we know, look, I've spoken to Rosh Hashivas and Dayanim who have told me about adults who are obsessive and addictive gamblers who are destroying their home life by not only not being involved in Parnosa, but losing their homes to the bank. How is that playing out in the life of, of high school kids? Kids will report that some they know they'll have friends. You know, you never get the kid himself admitting to it. He'll say, I know somebody. You know, the rabbi, you know, there's a kid in school who is down $3,000 to a bookie. I'm like, what? And, you know, these things happen. So again, is it lots of people? I don't think so, that, that have that kind of, those kind of losses. But it is the kind of thing that I think is very pervasive. And we do talk about certain things that we recognize as vices, things like drugs and alcohol, et cetera. You, know, you speak about Lushan Hara, and you speak about lots of different things that we kind of try to train kids to do things right. This happened fast, and I don't think any schools, any yeshivas really talk about this much, but I do think it's something that's probably important to guide people. Again, is this the biggest thing in the world that I lose sleep at night over? No, I don't lose sleep at night over this, but I do think it's a bad midah that kids get involved in, and I think this have to have a certain, there's going to be education around it, some awareness around it. I just think, I think people think because it's so you know, legitimate and it's something that is not illegal. People think it's a totally normal thing to do. Like, why not? And so I think there's going to be some education about, around it. So again, let's bifurcate it the way I talked about in the adult way. One way is the adult is lethargic, isn't going to work, uh, is glossy-eyed, isn't you know, involved in his work because he's so, you know, he, he's in front of the one-armed bandit or whatever it is. Yeah. So I would assume you would have that for kids too. I bet there are some kids like that. But I was going to say, listen, if you ask me, do I have a problem with kids who put, go, you know, do a, uh, you know, one of those March Madness pools? Would I like come down hard on that? I actually would not come down hard on that. I think that's like a Super Bowl. People want to bet on a Super Bowl. Again, do I love it? I don't love it. But it's not the kind of thing that I would uh, spend any time or energy trying to like outlaw or, or argue against. Like those kinds of like once in a while things that feel like they're touch points in American culture almost. Like, okay, so that to me is almost like it parallels that in the Gemara and Sanhedrin where it talks about like the why is a Masachic Bekuvia Pasal So if it's because you're not Osik Yeshuva Shal Olam, so these guys are Osik Yeshuva Shal Olam. Once in a while, they'll play a game. Okay, no, no, it's not the worst thing. Again, the other far, of course, is that that every time you put money down, the other person doesn't mean to take it. So it's a question of Geneva. Um, do these kids have their own money to put down? I mean, I don't know, John. I mean, your school, uh, which I was a part of for a number of years, is a pretty wealthy school. Uh, do you think, you know, the average kid has a couple thousand dollars that he can play around with? I don't think so. But I do. what I think happens is that you have on these apps, these like online things like FanDuel and DraftKings, I think kids do have access to parents' credit cards. And I think a kid can open an account. 
And then it doesn't necessarily get charged because you can get, you know, you open an account, you get a couple hundred dollars of free betting money and you kind of hope that that's going to turn into something. And so, you know, and then at some point you have that, you know, you hope the parent doesn't really notice the credit card bill or if they do, then you have a talk with them. And sometimes the parents will be like, okay, no big deal. It's good, clean fun for their kids. So it's not like these kids, they don't ever really have money, but if they end up losing, they maybe can't go to their parents or their parents will find out. And then you guys at the school have to somehow be the sympathetic ear. And I guess the question is, like you're saying, you don't want to go all ape intervention on them, but you do believe this is something that you would bring up if you would be speaking at sort of a little workshop, uh, a little breakout meeting of other principals, you would like to raise this so it shouldn't just be a blip on the screen. I think it needs to be raised and I think it needs to be spoken about. I think parents are not thinking about this. Mm. And they should be. Again, again I'm not going to go crazy on it. I got bigger fish to fry right now, but I do think it's something that is worthy of parental attention. I just don't think parents are thinking about it. And I think we need to kind of raise it. Look, you have some excellent uh, psychologists on staff there. And I know that uh, you can always access the wealth of information that they have. But we know that part of it, just you know, being an armchair dilettante as I am, I can tell you that what is it that draws people into gambling? And part of it is, of course, the idea of the fantastic change. Oh, I had nothing and now I have something. But it really is, you know, the boredom and the excitement of their normal lives and the excitement yeah. that's generated by look what I can do. All these kids, especially in SAR and other schools like yours, they all know the value of making a lot of money, right? They're all hearing about it, the idea of getting the job. So when you have this genie that can somehow, if you just know how to bet properly, can yeah. get you some money, so it, it becomes addictive, not so much because they need the money, but because this is a value. Oh, listen, if you're the kid, Again, I've heard this from kids in school, like, Rabbi, you're not going to believe what so-and-so did. What did so-and-so do? He did this parlay where he put down $4 and bet that like these nine teams were going to win on in a baseball game and that one of the games is going to be a shutout. And that $4 parlay turned into a $190, you know, like those kinds of things. It's very cool. You feel cool if you're able to make one of these, you make, make a buck. It's not about the, they don't need a hundred dollars of spending money, but if you can make a $5 bet that gets a hundred dollars, wow, you've got some cultural capital amongst your friends. Sure. And it's, it's a great story, right? And it's, it's an adventure. It leads to something material, but again, it does bespeak of a, I guess, a dearth of internal excitement from everything else. A hundred percent. I look at it and I say, it's, I get what the allure is, but there's something pathetic about the way to get excitement and meaning in certain events is to like inject them with this. And I guess if I would be listening to you at one of these little breakout sessions, I'd say, okay, so what can we do to either replace it, to modify it? What can we do without just tisk tisking and shaming them what can we do that can somehow channel that need here's what i think one thing important to realize i think that putting into kids consciousness that they essentially 
are being manipulated by billion dollar industry that has fooling them into giving them their money. FanDuel and DraftKings, they're making money off of you because they've convinced you by giving you a free account and, and like allowing you to place a bet. You're going to win a couple of times and then you're going to lose. The house never loses. And so I think that there's, you know, just a simple awareness of how these business models work. What are these bookies? Why are you getting so many like hundreds of ads persuading you to open accounts? Once you understand a little bit that you are the mark, you begin to take note and, say, and wonder whether or not you really want to participate in that. And I guess you know, there are so many um, morality little plays that you see uh, of you know, upstanding people who become addicted to gambling. And again, like I said, you have to speak to psychologists and explain what is it? What was the vacuum in their life that was filled by this so totally and completely? I agree with you. The problem is like this, as, as it is the case with drug and alcohol awareness, you talk about that and you don't you get to become the addict. Nobody ever thinks that they're the person. They know it's going to happen to somebody, but nobody ever thinks that those stories that you mean to scare them with are talking about them. Just does those things, that, that kind of education doesn't, my experience doesn't really work very well. Everyone thinks it's about talking about the other guy. You know, it's interesting, you know, as, as a person who's a little familiar with rabbinic literature, you know, I know that the Chuvas farm are full of heroes about gambling. It was a machla that they were not able to shake for hundreds of years. The Rabbanim tore their hair out, trying to stamp it out, and were always unsuccessful. And part of what yeah. they did was they limited it to Hanukkah and other days. Do you think that's something that's more amongst our people than in the general population? At one time, I believed that it was because they were in a ghetto. They were not able to own property. Uh, this seemed to be the ticket out. But I think it really is reflective more of what I'm saying, that there is something about that ability to actually change facts on the ground. Look, I can learn a sugya that is a static sugya. I didn't know what it meant. And I put 15, 20 minutes, an hour, three days, four days, I figure it out. So I took something that was a jumble of, if not nonsense, but statements I couldn't really see, statements that weren't in order. And by working on it, I built something, I created something. Now, what I created was an understanding in my mind. Now, if I have a, I could say it over, I could write it. But what is there is, like you say, it's very internal. It, it's something that the endorphins will go off because I feel great about that accomplishment. If I have a chavrusa, I can write it up. Now, that is something where the, the urge to actually change things and be creative comes out, even though, think about it, John, the creativity is really, okay, now you figured out what was already there. Let me put it better. The reason why live sports draws people is because this has never happened before. And we, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And when you're a part of that, and when you earn money on it, there's something about being almost like a creative power. So I, I feel creative when I figure out a sugya. I feel creative when I learn with some kids and we're able to understand a Beis Yosef or a Rashba that we didn't understand before. 
even though I know my predecessors have done that, and I feel happy about being part of that chain. But that isn't the same feeling of you just did something that was never done before. You are a creator. You've been Bainoi Lamas. That's true, because the world is built around money. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. By the way, speaking of money, thing I mentioned to you before we started recording that I had the good fortune of being down south earlier this week on Tuesday. I was in New Orleans. I tell you, I'm a, I never had this before happen to me. On my flight on the way back, I'm in the Louis Armstrong Airport <laughs> of New Orleans. Satchmo. Satchmo. I walk over to uh, get myself some, uh, there's a popcorn with a hashkocha in one of these stores. I walk over, I take the popcorn, some kind of Cajun popcorn. I walk over to the gentleman at the uh, cashier. I say, how much, can you scan this for me? How much does this thing cost? It was like a six ounce thing of popcorn. He's like, that's $4.99. I go, oh, it's kind of expensive. Eh, what the heck, I'll go for it. He goes, okay, I pay for it. He looks at my yarmulke and he says, what are you worried about? You got access to all that Jewish money. <laughs> I never had that in my life. I have it all the time. It's not just New Orleans. It happens here in Jersey. I never had it before. I say to the guy, no one ever told me where the Jewish money is. Do me a favor. If somebody tells you where all the Jewish money is, please let me know because I'd like to access it. I've never been able to do so. But it was very, I was, I was like totally caught off guard by, uh, I never had that before. Okay, so first of all, like I said, I've gotten it in bodegas in New Jersey. I've gotten it from cleaning people. I get it from the other workers at Abel's and Hyman, where I am the mashkiach of the most succulent sausages that are made. But the other fellows that work there, they assume that all of us Jews are rolling in dough, that we're sort of like Scrooge McDuck. Remember Scrooge McDuck? Sure. From the Disney cartoons? Yeah, he has like this... You know, in the in the back of his house, like they all think in our modest little homes, we have you know, some huge underground like cavern that's full of gold coins that we jump around in. You know, there there definitely is that. Unfortunately, listen. As far as all the, I, I think it's important to like, educate the kids about what this betting is. And listen, if there's one bet you can make. You certainly can bet on Abel's and Hyman as being the most succulent. <laughs> So I don't, we, we don't need to do this. I'm not at Abel's now. <laughs> but if you want, I'll, I'll put it in. Sure. So you can say that you were part of an Abel's. Yes, yes, yes. Atam and Tachlis Akashas. Yes. Tachlis Akashas, but Tachlis Atam. And we do actually do have some pretty spicy ones, too. I don't know if they're as Cajun as hot as in New Orleans. Um, look, it's something which people need to know about. I think what, what we need to work on, of course, is giving kids a sense of and I think you agree with me, a sense of meaning, a sense of happiness, a sense of creation, a sense of being able to, yes. to be in charge. And that's really the fantasy of what gambling does. And I think that's really part of it. Again, I, I, I hate sounding preachy and rabbinic, but I think that's really the root cause. And that would be the same thing, even kids that are creative in other areas. And, and you know, SAR, of course, has a lot of options for kids. But if I would meet with them, I'd say, you know, try to figure out you know, what's missing there. You know, it isn't just that they passed the one-armed bandit and they said, hey, let me try putting in a dime in and see what it is. Uh, let's end the... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.